Amen. Indeed, we pray that, church, right? That His Spirit will come upon us and this kingdom will come upon this church. Today's scripture reading, this morning's scripture reading, comes to us from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 17. I'm sorry, 2 to 13. So let us stand for the reading of our Father's word. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, this is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. And this is the word of our Father. You may be seated. The more clearly you see who Jesus is, the better you're going to know how to live in this world. The more clearly you see the fullness of who Jesus is, if you are a person who claims to be a follower of him, when you see him clearly, you will know how to navigate the things that God brings into your world. That, that's the basic message that sort of bubbles underneath the entirety of this part of the Gospel of Mark and that we're learning from this entire Lenten season. It runs from Mark chapter 8, verse 22, to chapter 10, verse 52. Um, I think I could have been titled, excuse me, just a moment. <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I better take that. I think I could have entitled this series of messages, Open Our Eyes. We want to see Jesus because uh, the disciples didn't see him very well. And if you're finding it difficult to navigate some of the things that you're going through in your life, it might be that the beginning point is that you need to see Jesus more fully. So, let's see where we go. In the story of Jesus up to now, because we're in the third week now, after eight chapters of Mark telling us about Jesus doing miracles and exorcisms, forgiving people's sins, engaging in incredible acts of love for all kinds of people, the disciples who are around him all the time still can't see who he is. 
So if you remember, we began our Lenten season with that message that my son Brandon brought because this entire text has two blind men being healed on, on either side of this entire set of messages. And in that particular place, there was a blind man who first was healed partially. Do you remember that? And Jesus spit in his eyes, which Brandon rightly said was rather gross. But for some reason, Jesus chose to do it that way. And then after the work of Jesus, he was able to see better. Then last week, uh, Jesus started bringing this home. And in the text that Pastor Jeff preached from, Mark 8:27 to chapter 9, verse 1, he just came straight to them and said, who do people see that I am? Who do they say that I am? And they didn't say it very well. And even Peter, who saw part of it, he said, we think you're the Messiah. But he couldn't see that Jesus, Messiah, had to come and actually die if there was going to be any hope for him or anybody else to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So you see it um, kind of like in that, that first healing of the blind man story, the disciples at this point were only seeing Jesus partially. I, I guess using that metaphor, he looked like a tree walking around. So Jesus loved these disciples. What, what did he do about their spiritual blindness so that they could see him better? I mean, you think about, did he have to spit in their eyes over and over again so they'd start seeing him better? Well, what he did is what we see today. He took three of them, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountaintop. Gotta remember, these were three Jewish men. Almost certainly, as they were going up the mountain, they knew what had happened in their forefathers' lives when they went up mountaintops. They had these special meetings with God. People like Moses, people like, like Elijah, they must have thought maybe something special will happen up here. Well, what happened uh, to the disciples that day on that mountaintop is really what I want us to think about today. Maybe see it in the same way, learn from what they experienced. And the way I'm going to put this together is the very thing that my son Brandon talked about that first week that comes out of the world of visual arts. I'm, I'm going to call us to see, uh, to see deeply and extendedly then to pull and, and, and try to understand what we're seeing, and then and only then can we really respond to the Jesus we are seeing. So let's begin with seeing. Verses two and three. Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in this world could bleach them. I can imagine my mother arguing about that. She, I think I can do it, I think she would say. So this entire episode begins with one small detail in verse two, if you have your Bible in front of you, and that detail is this, after six days. I know it looks very unimportant. It is not unimportant. It's very striking if you've read the whole story because up to now, Mark has given us no time designations at all. In fact, as he reports, uh, what Jesus had done about the life of Jesus. He, it was just like rapid fire action. And Jesus did this, and then he did this. And very often he would say, and immediately he went and did this. Uh, each time he did what God alone could do. But now at this point, Jesus was coming near the end of his life. He was going to have his last trip toward Jerusalem. He knew that soon he would die and that his disciples, who would have to carry on the ministry, could not see as I look at this, I think Jesus, out of love for them, knew that they needed to see better and he needed to do something. Why did they need to see better? 
for them to live for him and to pass on the message they needed to see, number one, who he is in greater fullness than they'd seen before. And then just as I said, from that, to be able to live their lives in ways that might actually honor him. So what Jesus did was he slowed down. And I think I need to slow down as well. So let's think about what they were seeing in this story that Osbed read for us in this text. They had actually seen Jesus for three years of their lives. And yet the Bible tells us when we came to chapter 8, verse 21, they still didn't see. They still didn't understand. So in this journey, he's going to try to help them to see more. Now what they see there, they still didn't understand very well. That's clear to me. When we, when we come to the end of the message today, they're still seeing only partially at best. But later on, they would remember back to this. And sometimes we have that happen to us too, don't we? Something happens, later we remember it and see the implications of it. Later, one of them, John, would write about it in John 1.6. He would just, in amazement, say, we saw him. We saw the glory of the one and only Son of God. I kind of get chills every time I read that text. And yet, when they saw it the first time, they didn't see it, not, not, not fully. Now, what did they see? The word in verse 2 that describes what they saw is transfigured. It's an interesting word. It's a word that says there was something that was already there, but it comes out either through growth or from seeing things from a different perspective or through something morphing that thing that was the way it was before is now seen visibly. I don't know if you're with me there. With that in mind, Jesus being transfigured, the Jesus as they now would see him was, was that way before. They just didn't see it. They saw little parts of it. But now they are seeing something more. And that something more is his deity. So with that in mind, read again verses 2 and 3. Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. If you've read the Testament before, you know that something like this had happened with Moses when he went up on the top of the hill and he came down and his face was, was radiant. But with Moses, it was just his face because he'd been in the presence of God. Here, Jesus is the one who is the radiant one. This radiance is what God's people have called the Shekinah glory of God. It's what the Hebrews writer, looking back on this, would talk about in Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the exact manifestation of the nature of God. All this is to say that that same Jesus that so often we remember in the lowly manger, that same Jesus whom they had been with, who didn't have a place to lay his head, was at the very same time not only human, he was also God. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God, and he showed it to them so that they could see it. So that in last week's message when Jeff was preaching, Jesus would just ask the question, who do people say I am? And all the answers were inadequate, weren't they? Well, maybe uh, John the Baptist who'd been recently killed. Maybe he's John the Baptist reincarnate. 
Maybe he's Elijah who didn't really see death when he was here. Maybe he is returning right here. Maybe he's just another great prophet in a line of prophets. Even Peter's answer, as I said, was, was inadequate. You're the Messiah. But he couldn't see that the Messiah had a lot to do which involved suffering and death. So now in this transfiguration, we hear the Father's voice speaking out of a cloud. Just as God had accompanied the people in Israel through a cloud, we hear this voice speaking out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. So now you've heard the report of what the disciples saw here. I think I need to ask you a question. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Who do you say he is? When you go out of church today and you go into all the difficulties of the world and you feel overwhelmed by them and you have heard the word, he is with you. His spirit dwells within you. Who is this Jesus who is with you? Who is Jesus to you? Does he seem sometimes to be distant or confusing or vague? Does he seem to be a bit like a tree walking around? Do you need him to come and spit in your face? See. See who he is. Then, take time to understand. Verses five and six. Peter said, Rabbi, make note of that. Rabbi, let us put up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then in this parenthesis, he did not know what to say. He was so afraid. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but many, many scholars and Christians throughout the centuries have felt that Peter was really the source of the evidence that Mark had for his story. I can really imagine this, can't you? Mark, when we were up there, you know what I said? It was so silly <laughs> what I said. So it has the ring of truth to me. Shockingly, Elijah and Moses show up. Why Elijah and Moses? Well, maybe some say it's because both had had, had a, an experience of God on a mountaintop, uh, maybe because both of them had experienced something of the glory of God, maybe that, but I think the main reason is that Moses and Elijah were these two great figures of their past when they thought they kept bringing great victories. I mean, Moses was the great lawgiver who was sort of the establisher of Israel. Elijah was the one who had defeated those prophets of Baal and was their great prophet. So, so you can imagine, maybe he's coming in their line. And, and just as, uh, as Moses brought victory over the great Pharaoh, boy, we need victory, we're under the yoke of Rome right now. Just like Elijah was able to bring this huge victory over the, the, those prophets, Jesus, maybe you're one kind of like them. Those were the good old days for them in their minds, Elijah and Moses. And they, they, they wanted things to be the way they used to be. So for these three disciples, it's, it's clear that they needed to take some time to understand what they were seeing when they saw the Shekinah glory of God in Jesus. They were thinking, do you see it? They kept thinking of Jesus as being equal to these great people in the past. They thought that was pretty good. Hey, Jesus, you're a lot like Moses and Elijah. You may be as great as they are. Now God has brought them back. I tell you what, we can set this up as a base. And from here we can go back down and overcome Rome and we can be the great nation we once were again. See, that's the implication of this. They wanted this world 
to be the way they thought it was in the past. So, you know, Peter called Jesus rabbi. Verse 5, it means teacher. I, I hope you see it. They thought in these three great men in front of them, they had Moses, the great lawgiver. They had Elijah, the great prophet. And now have, they have Jesus, the great rabbi. And I, I can think, I hope you were here last week. If not, go back and read the text that precedes this. We like this part, Jesus. With, you know, great military victories here and with all this. We like that death part that you talked about before we came up here. Let's forget that piece and just get to this. But rabbi, though Jesus surely was, he was no mere rabbi. See verses 7 and 8 again. It's so powerful. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son, the one whom I love. Listen to him. Elijah and Moses, they just pointed to him. Don't go back there. Listen to him. Suddenly, they looked around and they saw no one, no one except. Do you know, I mean, Lake Avenue Church, Jesus. And don't miss this. In the very next verse, verse 9, Jesus, with all the glory having been seen, said, and know this, I'm going to die. And then in verses 12 and 13, passage I won't be able to have time to go over to with carefully, but I'll just tell you what he says. When we come down from the mountaintop into the rest of the world, I'm going to be rejected too. And I'm going to have to suffer too. And I'm telling you, these disciples were confused. Are, are, are you confused at all? That this radiant and glorious one is going to be rejected soon. He's going to suffer in this world. He's going to be a dying man. See, they saw, but they did not understand. Do you understand? You feel any confusion? The point is that this man whom they had been with for three years was fully human. So he understood the issues of this world that he entered into. He knew the struggles if it was going to be remade that he would have to become a part of. He'd experienced poverty. He'd experienced trials. And the Bible even tells us he experienced every temptation that we do. It's hard to believe, but the Bible describes that. He had wept over the pain and death in this world, but at the same time, he was fully God. They should have known it, in control of the entire universe. Do you remember when the winds and the waves were out of control? <laughs> Jesus just spoke, and the winds and the waves obeyed him. So he has the power to change everything in this world. It's the same person, the poor, the one with no place to put his head, trials, temptations, one who could speak and everything in this world could be changed. Are you, do you begin to see anything more about him that might apply to your life? Jesus took his disciples up on, to that mountaintop because he knew they needed to see and especially to see who he is and who he was, both God and man at the same time. Later when they would face their own times of failure and pain, they were going to have to remember this, that God was still God and greater than the pain and greater even than death. 
We're going to have to know that too, right? When we leave church and we go into all the impossible things they feel to us in this world, that they are not impossible to God. The whole point is this. Hardship is here in this world, but, but the work of God is still going on. It's just not complete. So don't be surprised when hardship comes because glory is still a coming. Jesus will finish his work. Oh, so I just thought it, with all this preaching to you, uh, I thought maybe you'll feel about like the disciples did. I, so I called up my artist son, Brandon. I said, Brandon, is there anything that would help people to see and understand this a little bit better? And he helped me with this. He told me about a new movement among artists called Perceptual Shift. It's a group of sculptors in our world who are creating works of art uh, that help us to see uh, the very same thing, but when we look at it from a different perspective, we see that very same thing being different. Would you like me to show you an illustration? I'm gonna show it to you anyway, so we'll take a look at it here. I heard some people saying, wow. <laughs> it's not a perfect illustration, but it's an awfully good one. Jesus was giving these disciples the chance to perceive him from a different perspective on the mountaintop. He was still the same Jesus they had been with, who had experienced all the trials and temptations just as they had, though he without sin. But now they had also seen his Shekinah glory would they understand what they had seen? Would, would they understand that Jesus had to be human and out of that, out of love for us, had chosen to enter into and experience the imperfections and evils of this world in order to redeem them and to redeem us and to remake us? But being God, he had the ability to do it not only to experience the effects of evil in this world, but to overcome it, even death itself. And from that, they should have been able to know that when they would come down off of that mountaintop, they would face in this imperfect world difficulties because the glory had not come fully. But someday, the glory will come in its fullness. So he really tells them that. We're going to come down off the mountaintop and look, we're going to walk into some real challenges. But having seen me as I am, you have to live with faith and with hope. So they needed to see, and they needed to begin to understand what they had seen. And there's one more thing they had to do, respond. Their lives had to change in light of who Jesus is and the fact that he was with them. They had to view the things of this world in a different way. Respond. 
Verse seven, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. That, that word listen, uh, both in Greek and Hebrew, is more than just kind of hear and then forget. It's to listen in such a way that that is the voice that shapes your life, that actually directs the place that you go. It's saying, no longer look back there to think we want it to be that way. Listen to Jesus. His, they all pointed just to him. He's the one who has to carry you into your future. He was saying that when you have these tough decisions to make, the first voice you should go to is to Jesus. Our tendency is to just try to go to somebody else first. Pastor Jeff spoke about this uh, for a longer period last week, that how even in church we often look at these great celebrities, who, uh, uh, preacher celebrities, and go and get their ideas first, and maybe that will help us. Well, yeah, maybe they might help us, but the first place you should look is to come and open up this word and look at Jesus again and see what's consistent with this teaching, consistent with his character, and hear him. See, so many times we, like the disciples, sort of look back and think the great days are in the past. They thought, okay, if we can just become like it was back in Moses' day and in Elijah's day, then things would be great. Let me just tell you this. Things were not that great when Moses and Elijah were here. (laughs) Moses didn't even make it into the promised land. Elijah, even after his greatest victories, was so overwhelmed emotionally that he could hardly go on. It wasn't so great back then. And I'll tell you, it's not perfect right now either. So here's what God's people do. We thank God for the great heritage of the people like the Moseses and the, and the Elijahs and all those things, or those who've gone on before us. But we know that what Jesus, they were pointing to him and what he's going to do is bring in a new kingdom in which everything in this world is made completely right. As as a little card that one of you gave me says, uh, in the end, it will all be right. If things are not right, it's not the end. (laughs) And we live with that in mind. I'll tell you, um, churches almost always have sort of lived with this perspective of looking back to the good old days when things seem to be uh, better, at least more comfortable, for us more defined. And I think here at Lake, we could do that, you know, with a heritage like we have. We can almost say whenever we face some of the difficulties right now in our world, let's build three tents here. We'll have one for Pastor Hutchins and one for Pastor Ortland, and I don't know who gets the third one, whether that's Pastor Cedar or Kirk or me. You're gonna have to figure it out. But no, right? We have Jesus. He has come. Our word tells us today to listen to him. He has planted us in this world now. And with his presence, after we finish church today, to go out into this world, and you're going to take him with you. And and he's created us here and given us himself to face the challenges that we have to face in this world, just as the disciples had to face in their world. We have to go out and bring the person of Jesus to people who don't want to hear about him. We've got to go and take the hope and healing of Jesus to people who are broken from one another. And we go not in our own strength, but with the glory of this one who is greater than anything in this world. Let me just tell you this as clearly as I can. I cannot tell you with specificity 
where Jesus is going to lead our church family. The book of James tells me something that I know is true. I don't even know what tomorrow holds. He does. So I know this. Based on the authority of God's word, the place where God is going to lead us is going to be better than it's ever been before. And that it is now. Because when he is done, it will be a kingdom of justice and peace. So, we come here and get our eyes on see him as he is. We take time to understand that whatever we're going to face this week, he is greater than that. And then we go out as a church in unity to deal with the issues of our world, the brokenness that immigration issues have been bringing into our community, the challenge of how to bring Jesus and the gospel into the lives of people where this difficulty of sexual orientation in our world makes it more and more difficult to just enter in and see what difference Jesus can make. These issues of the abuse of power that we see in every venue of our society and we hear Jesus saying, no, 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 my way is to serve one another. He sends us. He's placed us in the world for that. He sends us into the world. And who goes with us? Who goes with us? The Jesus who is fully human and understands the issues that we, of the people that we meet who are going through such hard times and so much need Jesus, but who is also fully God who can make a difference in our lives and in theirs. We are going to take with us the Jesus who engaged in all of the mess of this world and yet still had the Shekinah glory that they saw that day. We go in his name. So I want you to read this, this passage. After descending from the glory of that mountaintop, these, descend, these disciples enter into the difficulties of this fallen world. I mean, Jesus had been preparing them for that by telling them, you know, even I have to suffer and be rejected and I'll even die. And, and, and you, if you follow me, you know that's got to happen. Yes, I must die, but I will also, I'm greater than death, I'll rise again, I'll do both. I'll die and I will rise again and so will you. But they didn't want to have any of that. <laughs> we don't either. Let's face it. They just wanted the glory now. They wanted their best life right now. Not all this. And he, he's essentially saying, your life, you need me to enter into that too. And this world, we need to enter into that too. And until that work is done, you won't be able to have the glory in its fullness. So I've, I've got to tell you what's ahead for us. Next week, we're going to jump all the way over to... To, to Mark uh, 10, 17 to 31, and the story of the rich young ruler. I wish we had more weeks. We need more weeks in Lent. We needed three more weeks. So, so, but what we have in the text, and you have to read the text in between from Mark 9, 14, all the way to 10, 16. What you have are these episodes that show how we live this out. Once we've seen, once we've understood, and we walk out into the world and face the challenges, what that actually looks like. So I'm gonna just, I want you to read it, but I'm going to give you a little foreshadowing of what I want you to read. One, when they first come down, they're going to find their own colleagues failing. And what we're going to see is in this world, you're going to find that we fail. But that even failures by God through Jesus will be made useful again. So that's exactly what happens. They come right down off the mountain and they found that their disciples' colleagues could not even do the basic things that Jesus had empowered them to do, to cast an evil spirit out of a little boy. 
but Jesus was the Shekinah glory of God and he could do it. He, he said um, the reason why it didn't happen this time was, was because of a lack of faith. So they had to learn faith, didn't they? They needed to go in the name of Jesus. And w when they went in the name of Jesus, whether it happened then or, or later in prayer in the name of Jesus, all sorts of things are, are going to be able to happen. So on one side, he wouldn't leave them where they were. They were going to have to learn. They were going to have to see better. They were going to have to respond to it better. But the other thing that I think is so beautiful is he never gave up on them. It's, we, just read the rest of the story into the book of Acts. Within a short period of time, Jesus would again use these failures to launch the church. I don't know if you think that's as great as I do, but I think it's really great. I'll tell you, it, it means that Jesus doesn't write us off when we failed. So when, when you see faithlessness in your, your own life and that you failed and you've come to church and you take a time to renew your commitment to him, you know what you're going to hear him say? Your sins I forgive. And even more than that, I will use you again. So my dear brothers and sisters, you may have failed yesterday. But give your life to Jesus again and he will use you because failure happens in this world but let me tell you, in Jesus, the glory is a coming. Second. Second way is just play, plays out this seeing, understanding of who Jesus is is that you're gonna see that there are people in this world who are viewed as low, as, as not being very worthy in this world. You might feel like that yourself, but I'm telling you, because of the glory of Jesus, those who are low are going to be lifted up. And what we have are these two really wonderful stories of children, one in verses 37, 33 to 37 of chapter nine, and then again in chapter 10, verses 42 to 49, about little children. The thing you need to realize when you read those stories is that little children, well, this was not a child-friendly world. All the major cultures of that world were not friendly to children. They didn't value children at all. And the sad part is that the disciples, you'll see it, had imbibed the values of this world. But Jesus valued children. And, and to whom will we listen when we think about whom we should value? Listen to, well, you already know. You know I, don't, I don't have to tell you about that. So what I see is this, when we actually listen to him, when we put all this together, we will actually begin to be able to see people as Jesus sees people. Preach it all the time, don't I? All people, as image bearers of God. All people, as potential recipients of the forgiveness of Jesus. Potential new creations in Christ. So even if you've come to church today, and somehow you feel devalued for any reason, your age, whether too old or too young, uh, appearance, race, lack of education, not much, whatever, whatever. Let me tell you this. You with me here? Jesus sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He loved you to his death. May that be true of us as his followers. For people in this world, this fallen world will be put down, 
but that will not be forever. Someday the glory is a coming in all its fullness. The other, the third episode that I want you to think about is this strange little incident that in chapter nine, verses 38 to 41. You're gonna see that those who are outsiders are brought inside because there's this man, um, and we don't even know, he was an outsider. We don't know whether he was Jewish or not. It doesn't even tell us that, but for some reason he was an outsider, and he was able to do what the disciples were unable to do. Namely, in the name of Jesus, set people free from demons. And the disciples didn't like it at all. Doesn't it sound like us? <laughs> not, not, not uh, I mean, people. Um, but Jesus made it clear that those who live in the name of Jesus and speak in the name of Jesus are no longer outsiders. No, this man that you read about in chapter 9, verse 38, he found out that not only did he belong but he was a full participant in the furthering of the kingdom of God in this world. <laughs> he was used to cast out evil. So I'll t tell you, when we actually listen to Jesus and we see who belongs in the family of God, we discover that the basis for belonging in God's family is simply the relationship to Jesus. When our faith is in Jesus, when the Lord of our lives is Jesus, then we belong. So let me just tell you today, you may come to church and you might feel alone and alienated. I know you can even feel that way when you come to church at times. Let me tell you, that will not last forever. The glory of Jesus, who sees the image of God in all people. The glory of Jesus is coming. And I'll tell you, when the glory of Jesus comes in his fullness, who's gonna be seen to be in? People from every tribe, language, and nation. People from every age group, educational level. And if you say we don't feel like it now, I tell you it will be. Because alienation exists in our world, but I'll tell you the glory is a coming. Know this today. I, I feel like Jesus was trying to prepare them for this, and, and I feel like I need to tell you the same. We who follow Jesus, I pray when you come to church we'll have a little bit of that mountaintop experience, but when you leave this place today, you're going to experience the same world that you left when you came in here, right? I don't know what challenges you are facing, but almost certainly they'll still be there. Uh, sometimes those experiences that we saw here are failure or, or rejection or alienation. And, and at this time, these disciples just didn't seem to be at the point that they could appreciate this part of the story that even though that is going to happen now, they could wait, they could be confident, they could be faithful because they'd seen the glory of Jesus and knew that he knew what he was doing and he would bring it about in his time. And my prayer is that you and I see more fully than they did back then. Soon they would see a whole lot better. So I just gotta tell you, Jesus is not done with his work in our world yet. But he is at work. So you're gonna face those challenges when you leave church today. But I'm gonna tell you, the one who goes with you, uh, Dwayne, we are never alone. He is with us. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He's not done with his work in you, so there will be victory over those things that you feel trapped by. He is not done with his work through you. 
So I just pray that more than ever before, when you leave church today, you will know his presence and that you will live with hope and confidence, walking faithfully through what uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, called dangers, toils, and snares. <laughs> but doesn't our world have those? Walking through those dangers and toils and snares because you have seen Jesus. And you know he is greater than any difficulty that you face because it will sometimes be hard now, but the glory of Jesus is real and the fullness of his glory is a coming. Amen. 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 Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, after creating the world in six days, you stopped and slowed down to see what you had made. Jesus, after living three years in this world, stopped after six days and slowed down so that his disciples could see because he could see that they were not seeing. So here we are, Father. We've tried to slow down to look at this passage of your word. Open our eyes, Lord. I doubt that there are many people here in our 11 o'clock service who haven't seen something of Jesus. Father, help each one of us see more fully. Do whatever needs to be done. Because we know, Father, that until we see who Jesus is and listen and listen and listen to him and follow wherever he leads, that we'll not navigate this world that you've put us in. But, Father, having seen, may we walk in faith and hope until your work is done. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.